Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Coming up on the payoff, I've been chasing Angie Wang for a while to get her on this podcast, and I finally got her. She's so cool to share her time with us and share her an incredible story of recovery. A lot of that story is actually illustrated in her movie MDMA. You can get it on Amazon Prime. It's a really cool movie. It goes back to the 80s and her life as a big-time drug dealer, uh, synthetic drug dealer and drug maker, producer, uh, when she was in college. And, uh, of course, we're talking about somebody who's an addict, uh, and we're also talking about somebody who's closing in on five years sober. And she walks it, she talks it, and is in the middle of the boat and is inspiring. So this is truly uh, a conversation we're blessed to have, and uh, I know that I really enjoyed it, and I know you will too. But first, Kevin Souza. Looking good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Good. Yeah. Where, where are we you? Right? Are you in the Bay Area right now? No, I live in LA. Okay. So you're in LA. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm in Hollywood. Basically, it's like the fucking Walking Dead apocalypse right now. Here. <laughs> why, why do you say that? You know what? Because there's so much fucking fent and meth now. And yeah. um, there's already this like despair and then people just get fucking pulled under and they start living on the streets and they their humanity bleeds out of them. It's um, it's upsetting. How long have you been in, in L.A.? Since 2000. Fuck. Let me think. 2015, 2016. So in the eight yeah. years you've been there or plus or minus a little bit, how, how much worse has that gotten? like that Walking Dead scene with the increase of fentanyl and those kinds of drugs? I think it's an order of magnitude worse. You know, there used to be, I, I think also COVID helped, you know, kind of like, you know, kind of tore the ass out of the out of all of us, quite frankly. But, you know, especially in these big metropolis centers, you know, like New York, San Francisco, LA, um, it really, it added to the, to the sense of hopelessness, you know what I mean? And I think that a lot of people, and then, you know, fentanyl now is across our borders in terms of the production, right? Yeah. It came from China to then Mexico. And it was only a matter of time until like the, you know, they started manufacturing it here. So once you see it, it, you know, you, you can, it, it's like a fucking wildfire. When, it's really sad. You know, I know you're from Newark, right? That area, like North Jersey. Yeah. I'm from Philly. And like Kensington, <laughs> Kensington, which is an area of Philly, is like it is that is literally like a zombie town. I mean, there's yeah. just it's the fentanyl, the heroin, um, some of the other shit. I mean, got, people are just you know just walking around, literally looking like like the apocalypse, like you said. Yeah, it's really sad. You know, I walk my dog around town still. 
I'm really not afraid. I just I kind of grew up in areas <laughs> like this, you know, and I don't know. I'm just for whatever reason, I'm not really afraid, but um, I'm just more sad. You know, yeah. I'm just more sad that people I mean, I'm like it's human beings living in this like hell on earth, basically. Well, by the way, talking to you and 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 learning about you, like there's not a whole lot of fear there. I mean, maybe we'll talk a little <laughs> bit about that, but I mean, you're certainly I have rage that covers my fear. <laughs> it protects that soft underbelly. You know what I mean? So yeah. like I fly into rage if I'm if I'm upset about something. <laughs> so I want to start with your story. Great for those who love me. <laughs> so your story, so you're coming up in March, as we say, like God willing, you'll have five years sober, right? So you're Yes, I'm looking forward to my head popping out of my ass. <laughs> That's what everyone says, right? Well, after, yeah, I remember when I was two years sober, somebody asked me to speak somewhere, and I gave what I thought was this impassioned, like, you know, experience, strength, and hope. And I was on cloud nine, and people were like, yeah, just take take it easy. You know, like, take it, like, we'll see. And it was true, you know, like, look, I think, honestly, there's guys walking around today with a day that have a better spiritual condition than I do right now. I don't know that it matters. You know what I mean? Like I don't time, I don't know how, but for me, like the body of work, I definitely have grown. I mean, you're pretty experienced and evolved in life and that's what we're going to talk about. I mean, and you were in, you tried to get sober for a little while, right? Like kind of in and out. Oh dude, I ran the rooms for like 20 years. Probably the very first time I had an AA meeting, my daughter, who is now she's going to be 25, was a baby in my arms. So and now um, she's in recovery. She is. Yeah. She's been like 10 months. I mean, willing. yes, not. Yeah, no, that's crazy. So can we so we'll go into your story and I want to talk to you about your, your life, your career, obviously getting sober, MDMA, the movie. And, you know, I have my own curiosities. What's what's true? What's not? Um, uh, everyone fucking, I, I know <laughs> everyone wants to know. I mean, if I just did the total truth, you'd be bored out of your mind. Cause you'd be like, Oh, there she is hung over lying on the sofa watching, you know, general hospital. <laughs> <laughs> well, really when the movie starts and it says, you know, there's something about, you know, I, I was a kid growing up in the eighties when it just says 1984, you're like, I'm, I'm like, I'm in, you know, and then you're at a club yeah, and yeah. There, you're doing a line right away. It's just. It's really cool. So, but you open a fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, in a line. so you, so you grew up in Newark and like North Jersey, right? No, you know, I grew up kind of all over the place. So New York, I was born in Queens, New York, New Jersey, death, like focused around North Jersey. And my mother like left when I was really young. So she actually disappeared from my life for like five years and reappeared in the Virgin islands on the Island of St. Croix. So I was bounced all over the place. Yeah. You were so, with your dad pretty much who was working in the restaurant business, right? Yes. Yes. And yes. so what was, what was your childhood like as far as like, you know, um, traumas and substance being around it? So, you know, the A study, I'm like a nine out of 10 on that fucking quiz. <laughs> so it was a lot of, uh, it was a pretty, it was a dark period. Definitely. Um, I was really lonely. I don't think I really was in touch with that for a long time. You know, like I remember being in a therapist chair and she was like, that sounds horribly frightening to have like your mom gone. She took your brother, you're all alone in this like apartment, your dad, God bless him. You know, he worked in the restaurant until late. He also, I think he's one of us. I know we're not supposed to diagnose, but yeah. he would go out drinking until like really late at night. So I was 
often left to my own devices. So um, I always thought that booze was like this glamorous, like indication that you had made it, you know, like if you could dance around in a fancy dress and a sparkling, you know, with a champagne flute. Um, I remember my dad once took me to windows on the world in the, in the world trade center before obviously, it, yeah. you know, all came down. But um, it was like this magical night and he let me sip a little bit of champagne out of um, this like beautiful crystal flute. And I was like, oh, it's the key to happiness. <laughs> it's the key to beauty How old and you? success. I was like 10. Okay. So that was like one big highlight in my, in my childhood. So um, I always held on to it, you know, and to me, an alcoholic was like someone who was like fucking passed out in the street. Like, you know, we didn't, Nobody really back then knew about addiction. Nobody yeah. really talked about it. You know, there was like, we always grew up in like pretty challenging neighborhoods, I would say. So there was always people fucked up and loaded all over the place. But, um, you know, as a teenager, it became my best friend. So, right? yeah, when did, the, was, when did it start to pick up? Know. Like you, you grow up, it's, it's you and dad pretty much, right? I mean, yeah. and he seems he, like he did the best he could. He did. I, you know, I just came from this visit back to New Jersey and I had been dreading it. Like it, it took me 20 years to go back to the house that like, it, it actually is not the same house that like I grew up in, but like he moved and I walked in and I was like, <laughs> I saw like all these, I don't know, artifacts from my childhood. You know what I mean? Like the same yellow table that we had when, when I was a kid and like, you know, stuffed animals from my childhood. Um, so um, at first I like completely lost my shit. I was like texting my friends. I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here. This fucking feels horrible. I got to get out of here. I ran away from this. I can't fucking, I can't believe I'm back here in this fucking shit. <laughs> and then I called on my tools. I hit a meeting. I talked to my sponsor and I've just prayed and asked for guidance. And, um, my little voice said, you know what? You got to be the one to fucking conjure the light now. Like you're, you've done enough work. You're a grown woman. You're not a kid anymore. You're not powerless. You can call it in. And honestly, I like fell in love with my father all over again. So wow. I, um, I remembered all these, like, you know, it's different, right? When you look at something through a different lens, like at first I was like, why the fuck would he keep these like disgusting old, like stuffed animals? You know what I mean? They're like dirty. I think I puked on one, like gross. And then they became, I, I could see them through a different lens, which was like just um, uh, tokens of his sentimentality of how sentimental he is. Right. So once that anger, once I'm, hi, kitty. Hey. Once that anger sort of, like, once I can let that down, um, that's where the juice is, right? And the light because comes in. Yeah, it is. It's like, you got to scoop all this shit out so you can get that. Like, that's basically, that's the that's it. And you can get, you know, every day I do start my day. I'm shit about the third step prayer. Like, it's just too many words and it's archaic language. <laughs> so I'm just pretty much like, hey, God, can you just fucking please tell me where to be? Put me in the right place at the right time to be of maximum service. Um, and, uh, I try to live my life like that. Well, so you, you just described something. And I think that, 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 that for me is a game changer. Like if I go to a, whether it's a, a vacation or a family trip, I don't want to go on. Or if I can hit a meeting, I mean, it really does yeah. change. First of all, there's a real, like, 
tip of the cap to, to recovery and like, Hey, I'm putting this first. I'm now going out of my way in a city where I don't live to find a meeting around people. Like I absolutely do not know. I know them, but I don't, you know, I don't know them. And, uh, right. it, it's, it's a real shot in the arm most of the time, if not all, you know, to do yeah. that. And, it, and, and it's really cool to hear you tell that story because it changes your perspective. And all of a sudden now you're looking at your father through a different lens. I mean, of course you mentioned you were able to call on yourself and but it's uh, it's pretty interesting. But sobriety has been the entry ticket to like a fucking brand new way of seeing the world and being <laughs> of service and like feeling connected to people. I grew up so lonely, right? Yeah. So I feel like in the rooms, you know, like obviously we have that connective tissue of all being addicts and alcoholics, but it's more than that. You know, like we really try to conjure the best version of ourselves for that room. And I, I know that for me, I've been really lucky to have just I've manifested great tribe, you know, and um, my daughter gave me this big compliment the other day. She was like, you make looking old look okay. And I was like, fuck you, Brad. But she, <laughs> but she was like, no, like you, and she goes, you taught, and thank you for teaching me how to take care of my relationships. Like I've watched you nurture your relationships and show up for people and really like, you know, we always like remember each other's birthdays and give each other cakes and just try to really take care of each other, check in with each other when we know that the other person is going through a hard time. So um, she's like, I really I think it's a it's a beautiful gift. Right. To have been able to see that. Like she's like, Mom, even when you were drinking, you still tried to show up as a good friend. I mean, I was fucking not really I didn't have the capacity to really show up in a real way. Right. Yeah. I, I also just hated myself so you know i always say that you can't really be a truly compassionate being if you fucking hate yourself right well so, and that's what that that's what like a lot of recovery is like loving that person yeah. that you maybe used to dislike or you know were shameful of um yeah that's that's a you huge reclaim. Yeah, yeah you got to reclaim all those pieces of yourself so when you started to, to ramp up like you mentioned you go uh to the world trade with dad and you have that champagne when does it start to kind of like, I don't even want to say go off the rails, but you notice now looking back with the knowledge you have, like, wow, this was alcoholic and addictive yeah. from early on. From my first real drink, honestly, from like from the get go, my, my, I was, my father got remarried when I was like 12 to a woman who was 21. So <laughs> you can imagine that didn't last very long, but, um, she was a total alcoholic, like tons of like looking back now through the lens of a grown woman, I can see like, oh, my God, all this trauma. You know, she was really stunted. She was completely enmeshed with her mom who lived with us, too. Oh, wow. And uh, so she, you know, she and her mom come like four o'clock. They would start mixing up the gin and tonics and they would they would fucking pound. <laughs> they would get hammered. And I'd be like, whoa, what is happening here? Like, you, this is, and, and she was a woman who, like, I kind of despised, but I also was, like, desperate to have her love me, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> so when she, when she offered me that first drink, I was like, yeah, sure. I remember, you know, gin doesn't taste great. You know, like, so um, <laughs> I was like, oh, God, gross. But I loved the feeling, right? I loved that warmth. And I got wasted, hammered. And I remember always being like, oh, what a great go-to. So um, I had some, well, it's in the movie, some early sexual trauma, which I yeah. think really kind of pushed me over the edge. And just, you know, um, I was like, well, 
I guess I'm a drinker. I guess I'm a partier. I also, I loved the escape, right? I, and I loved the excuse to be reckless and just the total buy-in to that narrative that I was like a fucking broken, damaged piece of shit. I was like, you know what? Fine. Fuck yeah. it. I'll show you how fucking damaged. I'll show you how fucking angry and damaged, you know, I can be. So I just raged around like that during my teens. But how did, but you kept your shit together. I mean, you, you, you seem like you were a good student. You know, you, you, you get into college. Like, you weren't like a fucking burnout dropout. You know, it was always, um, you know, I come from the generation of Taiwanese who came over here. They were like the cream of the crop, right? Like, they basically were like, if you wanted to fucking leave the country, you had to be, you, you were rounded up and you had to take this test. You had to go to the top schools and then you had to top score in like the top percentage of, of everyone who had taken this national test. And then you were like, you could leave. And the thinking was that they'd get educated and then come back, of course, nobody fucking went back. <laughs> but um, my parents were that generation. So it was always hammered in me that you had to do well in school. And I also think that, I'll just fucking be completely blunt. Like, so these two dudes, um, one of whom I had a massive crush on when I was 16, got me hammered. And well, I mean, I got hammered. I'll own that. But um, they basically like dragged me out into this tunnel and both fucked me and like then dropped me off at home like a piece of garbage. And I was like, this never happened. This never happened. And by the way, and then I would have to see them around town and be like, oh, fuck. And, the, you know, they, it was so gross to I just felt horrible every time I saw them. It definitely informed my drinking. But it also was like I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like, you people will never fucking see me once I graduate. Like, I am getting the fuck out of Dodge. And my ticket out was, I, I was always told, like, you're pretty smart. You're smart. You're smart. I tested well. You know, um, I, I was, I'm lucky that I'm gifted with a, a solid intellect. Yeah. So. But it's funny, right? Like, as smart as you are and as brilliant as you are, who knows what to do with a situation like that? I mean, as a guy, I can't even begin to comprehend what that, what that is like to go through. But then you stuff it. Never, it never happened. You know, yeah. it wasn't until recently, this past year, that I like really kind of had this like big cathartic moment around it. You know, and even when I was shooting, I didn't even conceive of it. Like, I'm, I was a pretty evolved like woman. I had been in therapy. I had done work on myself. I was very like, um, you know, I did work with at-risk kids and heard their stories and like intellectually I understood that you know no you oversaw an entire like right. nonprofit to help these kids yeah, out. yeah 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 i ran a nonprofit called grow global yeah. resilience average work and this is in um, your drinking in the latter stages kind of you know i was in and out right so i would get sober for like a year and a half two years but i never could hold on to it i never could hold on to it i would just let go you know so um yeah uh, oh, so it wasn't until I shot the movie and, you know, that's that scene of the, the tunnel, yeah. the tunnel scene. And my, my AD was like, oh, it's a rape scene. And I'm like, oh, no, no, it's not a rape. She's just really drunk. And then I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, it was a whole different perspective, you know, because everyone on set was like, it's a rape. It's dark. It's pretty, you know, and I think it happens with some level of regularity. You know, um, I've heard this story over and over again. Yeah, I think it's starting to shift. I think we're starting to like raise awareness around it, and people, and and I think people who have been through it are um, 
more um it, it's a safer place to be able to like come forward and, and speak their truth and that so, that truth um, i mean i would imagine that carries some serious weight to these younger people coming up and they hear that you know it's that it's the same strength that if you share it in sobriety right it's like you know as you never want to wish that on anybody but you can turn that pain no. into into you know, helping someone else out really, even before anything would ever happen. Yeah. I feel like going through all that shit carves a deeper capacity for empathy, mm, right? Like yes. I actually, oh, you probably don't know, but I'm actually doing my practicum now at the rehab, like to become a, um, a therapist, uh, marriage and family therapist, um, my MFT, awesome. I'm getting my MFT. Yeah. So like your brother. Yeah. And then, um, so. Thank you for uh, mentioning him. You're the best. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing my, my hours now um, at the same rehab where my daughter got sober and I get to work with this woman, Kathleen Murphy, who's like, oh, like, I feel like I'm fucking singing back up for Aretha Franklin, <laughs> but I share these things in, in my groups because I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to give you some hope. Like if I made it through, you can. Yeah. And by the way, you know, my, like it feels like being back at breathe feels like the the hero's journey. Like, I feel like I've come full circle because I sat in a family group with my daughter like five years ago, so bereft after having found her OD'd and like, it, and having to come to terms with like, you know, my daughter's a fucking fentanyl addict. Um, and just living with that like gut-wrenching fear that I was gonna lose her. So um, to go back there now in this capacity really does feel like a hero's journey. And I'm always like, just, I'm filled with gratitude every time I get to work with people there. And um, it, it is that I feel like now all the fucking stupid shit in my life makes sense. It's all like clicked into place, you know, and I can conjure that and I can, um, I can hold space for people who have been through um, a lot of similar things. You, you, you touched so. on that about, I mean, that is a major turning point in your life or a touchstone for your daughter's recovery and maybe yours when you found her OD'd. And you, uh, you, yeah, you basically, you saved her life. Yeah, it was in the room right around the corner from here. Um, you know, it, it, it just so happened that I had decided, like it was right after my movie dropped, I had coming off this dizzying kind of like, you know, circuit of like press and film festivals and you know screenings and stuff like that and i was drinking a lot and i remember looking at it <laughs> so vain i looked at a picture of myself and i was like it looks so puffy ew i'm like i better like take it easy on the drinking for a while because i always knew my drinking was an issue yeah i always knew but at that point i have i was like fuck it man like i'm fucking alcoholics so oh alcoholics drink alcohol um but at that point i was like you should pump the brakes for a little while. So thank God, because, um, you know, our bedrooms are at opposite ends of the condo. And I remember thinking like, she's going to be late. Like, and she had just had some fight with her boyfriend. And um, I was like, I'm just going to go check on her in her room. So I went in and she was fucking not in the room. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she was blue lips and like ashen white and not breathing at all. So, um, you know, I think we all have a clean line to our higher power when we can clear up enough shit. And this was enough fear and trauma that it just like my higher power screamed in my head, breathe for her, breathe for her. You got to breathe for her. So um, 
I always say that I'm not proud that I never took a CPR class, but I just kind of somehow knew what to do. And I, you know, pinched her nose and threw her head back and started breathing for her. And I remember I could see her chest kind of like rise and fall. And then I pulled back and her lips had turned pink again. And I was like, all right, good. And then like testimony to, you know, her then 19 year old body, her eyes flew open and she was like, mom, you're so fucking loud. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna beat the living shit out of you, you little fucking rat. But, um, you know, I always preface this with like, I don't pretend to be any kind of like weird mystic or anything, but I just report now exactly what happened. And like for a second, I gotta tell you, I was not in the room. I, I was like, I, I remember very clearly standing next to my daughter's grave and I remember like wind hitting me and I remember my body like wrapped with grief. And I, I remember the feeling of being like, fuck. Now I gotta face like this whole expanse of life without my daughter who really is my soulmate. I like gave birth to my soulmate. I love that kid. Um, even though she's a fucking rat. <laughs> she answers to that, actually. She answers to the little rat. But, um, and then the next second I was tossing up this baby, this like, I, I believe it's my not yet conceived granddaughter up in the air. So for me, I mean, look, I'm a fucking fanciful girl. I'm a filmmaker. I like imagery. So it could like, whatever, you take it with a grain of salt. But for me, I took it as a really powerful inflection point in my life. And I was like, I fucking reject option number one. And I will fucking do anything that I need to do to get to option number two, which was like a very humbling process of just like taking shit down to the studs. Well, and, and, and this is at a point in your life where you're sort of riding high. I mean, you just talked, you're coming off this circuit, your movie comes out you know, you're getting positive feedback. And I wanted to, before we get into like the humbling part of, of that and this overdose, where, where were you as far as like justifiably drinking? Um, like, like, right. Cause you, you're on top of the yeah. world. So it's like, it's like, fuck it, man. Like I'll drink, I, you know, that's like, that's what I do. Yeah. You know, like everything revolved around drinking and uh if i could get a little coke amazing yeah. you know so and you were doing the, so you were doing coke up until you stopped you stopped it four four and a half years ago yeah okay. i mean it was kind of like people are always like you must have done a lot of ecstasy i'm like no that was like for money and then <laughs> i I fucking cocaine until the cows came home yeah. you know and i was around it you know so i'd go to par i went to i'm not gonna say his name but he's a, a rock star who lives up in the hollywood hills and i went to his birthday party and i just saw so much fucking blow all over the place i thought he was a creep but i was like i'll just be right out of your way and i remember just like scooping blow up and taking it home with me to <laughs> by myself <laughs> so i was definitely like a drug hoarder and like you know i <laughs> i would i had to make an amends to this one he's another musician for like waiting for him to pass out and then like stealing his leather jacket and all of his drugs and his money. Angie, uh, I used to say, steal, uh, steal your shit and then help you look for it. Right. That's what I would exactly. do. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You can't find your jacket. I wonder where it is. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah. What? You have a whole eight ball missing. I don't know. Yeah. Know when you find it, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so do you, 
like when when you got sober or or you you option number two, right? You're still pretty yeah. much riding high. So how hard was that? Did you go right into either treatment or 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 meetings when after on the heels of this experience with your daughter, or did it take a minute? You know, I had been to treatment a couple of times, and I had tried, like I said, to get it together. I think I might. I think the most time that I was able to string together clean like totally clean without taking a dirty chip or a cake or whatever. It was like a year and a half. Um, so I had, I like, I had the knowledge. I didn't have the will at that point. And um, I remember I started half-heartedly going to the rooms. I got my daughter into treatment at breathe and um, she kept relapsing. She kept fucking relapsing at breathe. And I remember getting the call that she had tested dirty for fentanyl. How was that uh, happening in there? I mean, I've been to rehab too, but was she able to leave and do it or was it in there? She is a wily little bitch. <laughs> and if she wants dope, she will fucking get it. My daughter will walk up to a stranger on the street and she's beautiful too, right? So like everyone responds to her and she's like, hey, how are you? Hey, do you have any drugs? You know, like she has no problem doing that. <laughs> So, um, well, I have read that you were one of the most persistent that. people uh, in, uh, in the universe. So maybe she gets well, it from Cassian mom a little bit. Cassian said that. that I'm pretty yeah. fucking persistent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so she, I guess she's inherited her tenacity from me. Yeah. But <laughs> so at that point, I still, you know, I didn't want it for myself. I just wanted it to be a good mom. You know, I just, I still, I, I think at the end of the day, I still just really, deeply bought into this narrative of being a broken damaged piece of shit right and i was like fuck it like i don't I, I couldn't conceive of living sober i couldn't conceive of being deserving of like this magical life that people had talked about right so i kind of half-heartedly went to the rooms just to sort of model it for my daughter and when i heard that she relapsed on fent i just like was clobbered to my knees yet again right and i remember I went out on a run. I went out. It was it was on my birthday. So my birthday is three five and my sober date is three nine. Oh wow. So for the four days I was like, it's on. Yeah. Right. And I remember I woke up on it was a Saturday, three nine one nine, and I reached for my phone. And normally it's like, oh shit, like who have I texted now? Or like, did I fuck someone? Or like, <laughs> where's my card? Or I hope my card didn't get smacked. Like, whatever. But this time it was I hope it's not the rehab telling me that my daughter's dead. And my addict response to that was like, you know what, Ange, you should get online and just see how hard it is to buy a gun. You need a gun because if that happens, you're not sticking around for it. You're just going to fucking eat a bullet. And then my higher power said, that's not exactly conjuring the light, bitch. Like it's a fucking easier way. Like you, like, what are you doing? Don't be like so dramatic and mired in the dark. You want fucking option one or two. So I, I went back to the rooms that I had sort of, I think I took like a dirty 90 day chip. And, um, now what, for people who don't know, what's a dirty, like a dirty 90 day chip. So, you know, we mark our time with uh -huh. 30, 60, 90 day chips. And I had, I drank, but I still took a 90 day uh -huh, chip. Okay, okay, yeah. I would have been eligible for this chip. So I was like, <laughs> fuck it, I'll take it. Cause I'm not going to tell everyone that I fucking drank again. Yeah. <laughs> So I was lying, right? So it's like that uncomfortable, what is my old sponsor used to say, like, that's the worst place to have like a head full of um, program and a belly full of beer. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it's a horrible feeling. So 
at this point, I just went back and I, I did that trust exercise where you just got to fall backwards into the rooms mm-hmm. and hope and just be like, hope someone catches me. And they did. They did. You know, how like, did your, how did your, how did your approach to the program and sobriety change when, when, when you were ready? I was fucking willing. I remember I would never take uh, a commitment, you know, and I'll never forget this. They're like, there's a literature commitment. The least, the one that I fucking want the least, right? Like schlepping around those fucking books like a schoolgirl. It's the last thing in the world I want to (laughs) do. Putting them out in like brochures and pamphlets. Like that. Yeah. I was like, oh, what's happening? (laughs) And, um... If you're just listening, I, if your range is raising her hand, right? Like, like she's putting her <laughs> hand up, like, call me, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I did, I, I did what I was told. Um, and I, I asked for help and I was honest. I cried in front of people, which is very, very like, not me. Um, I got a sponsor who I still have today. I got sober in the rooms of gay AA in LA because I just felt safe there. Mm-hmm. And um, we all shared this sort of perspective of having been an outsider and, and um, I just felt comfortable and taken care of. And I, I was like reparented. I stayed in the middle of the boat. I worked the fucking steps. I, um, I kept coming back, you know, it's simple, but not easy. Right. What do you say and- to people who like have achieved you know, a level of success like you had, and then you're kind of like floating in this rare air, but now you're having to smash your ego. Uh, you know, how, how does that, how, how do you walk that tightrope? Wow. I mean, I still have a massive ego in a lot of ways, <laughs> but um, I have been humbled and I try, I, I do pray every day to put, to set my ego aside. I think that's a tough, it's a bitter pill for a lot of people to swallow, especially like, look, if you're still caught up in addiction, you're like, you're holding on to every fucking thing with, with all your might, right? Because um, you don't realize that there's a whole other way to live. You don't realize that there's such beauty in just letting go a little, you know? Like I said, like, I railed against feeling sad or grief. Unbearable for me. I always felt like it was like a total well that if i fell into i'd never fucking come out mm-hmm. and i was afraid like if i started crying i'd never fucking stop crying um but if i learned to lean into it i learned to lean into it because then you get to the other side and it really does carve more capacity you know i, I learned this lesson during my child's birth because like I, she was a massive kid she was a 10 pound two ounce baby and i was like not prepared for what that process would look like. Right. So that first contraction came and I was like, fuck me. God, (laughs) like I'm twisting and kicking and I'm like, holy fucking shit. And my little voice leaned in and said, you got to lean in. You got to make friends with the pain because you're not fucking getting out of this without it. Like you need to like, this is a process that it's a necessity to fucking experience pain, just like life. Right. Mm. And it said, it showed me this, like, wave cresting and breaking like they're like it, it'll get horrible and then it'll break like you won't stay at that apex for that long and um and it said hold someone's hand and keep breathing and don't use that time in between contractions to trip out about the next one like it's probably coming mm-hmm. but um don't trip like be in the moment and use that moment to really enjoy yourself relax have a drink of water you know like 
and like be in the moment and enjoy that that freedom from pain. Not fair, not fearful of the next one and, and living in that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because you're not because then, then you're a, you're a prisoner to that, right? Yeah. Like if you're just worrying about like something bad's gonna happen, something bad's gonna happen. Like probably yes, if you live long enough, something ba something bad will happen. Yeah. But just be in the moment and hold someone's hand because they they can't do the work for you, but it makes it a whole lot fucking better than rolling around all by yourself in the dark. Yeah. So when you I mean I so you mentioned having your daughter like yeah relationships like. How, how were for you when you were drinking and using like, like how, 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 how did that, how did that look? Like, how did, you know, you, you, it was, you looked you like me being a horror show, <laughs> being a horror show. Right. Yeah. And just like looking for hostages to take and then like hating them for not being the person who I thought they were, you know, just, I was a fucking nightmare. You know, projecting all my shit onto other people, never taking any kind of accountability. Um, just, I look at that girl, you know, I used to hate that girl. I used to look at her and be like, what a fucking horrible piece of shit. Like breaking people's things. Like one time some guy pissed me off. He was like a Wall Street guy. And I went in his closet and I cut all the legs off of all his pants and trousers. <laughs> And, <laughs> and felt justified. Yeah, you know? totally. I was a fucking horror show. Horrible, horrible person. Cheated, lied, all this stuff. Um, but, I mean, this is the duality, right? Like, we're hungry for fucking connection. We want love. We just don't know how to get it. And we don't, and I didn't have the tools to be able to show up, right? Like, if I felt bad, if you made me feel bad, that meant that I was going to rage at you. Yeah. I couldn't just come to you and be like, you know what? That really hurt my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. This is stuff that I'm learning now. It's still stuff you struggle with in sobriety, right? I mean, still like yeah. I, I have to really pause when somebody hurts my feelings. I've got to like settle down before, because what I want to do, even if it, and it really is kind of like almost a subconscious reaction. I want to hurt back, whether that is like just totally yeah. pull away and just like yeah. vanish, but whatever I need out of this situation, because right now I'm, I'm feeling pain. I don't want to feel pain anymore. Like I, I need yeah. to remove my, rather than just hang around and be like, Hey, like it's that kicking, right? Yeah. It's that, that kicking motion that I did when I first had a contraction, I was like, this feels terrible. I'm kicking. Yeah. You know, I want it to go away. So it's that same kind of visceral reaction. So for me, it definitely is like, like I can be a nightmare and rage. And I'm like, you know what? Scorched earth, motherfucker. I'm burning this shit down to the ground. Yeah. And it's not like productive to do that. <laughs> so it is a lot about learning how to self-soothe. I think to me, that's like one of the biggest fucking gold nuggets, right? Out of, out of my sobriety is the ability to, to pause and to, Conjure the light, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about this, the, the movie, and and what you know. It's MDMA. You can get it on Amazon Prime. You don't even have to fucking pay. Yeah. Right. So just knock yourself out. Um, but you, the movie is like so. This young woman who grows up in I guess I guess Newark um, goes to college. Now, did you go to Rutgers or Stanford? Rutgers. Okay. So you go to Rutgers, but you called the movie. The Cardinal for what was the name of the movie originally? So it was Cardinal X originally because like a lot. So the movie is like an amalgamation of like about 30 years of my life sure. together. 
So a lot of my biggest customers were at Stanford. Okay. So I was like, wouldn't it be great to just set it there? Uh, and Stanford was very clear that if I had used their name, they would sue me into oblivion. <laughs> and they were like, your movie will never fucking see the light of day. It will never be distributed. You will be fucking so caught up in litigation. So, you know, that's part of the reason why I used my own name. Cause I was like, fuck man, I can't say, I can't use this person's name or that institution's name or this, that, the other thing. Um, so I, uh, I was like, fuck it. I own my own name. I'll just use my own name. So which, you, so you the know. movie illustrates you, you go to college and you, you, you need some dough and, but now, now you go like you rock it into this whole other world as far as like making money is concerned. You, you start to sell ecstasy and you start to produce it. Yeah. How, how did you, also, how did you figure that out? Well, there's a scene that's like been left out where like, you know, we didn't have the internet back then. Right. So we had to go to like the library and we had all these like, you know, research books and stuff like that, that couldn't leave the library. So I, I like kicked the grading out of the window and threw all these books out the window and then just studied. And I also, I recruited someone who's not in the movie because his wife was like, if you fucking mention him, I'll kill you. <laughs> um, so, but he, he really was like, instrumental in learning how to synthesize. I mean, it's a really tough process. It's hard to synthesize something. How much um, did it cost to, to do that? Nothing because I stole everything from school. <laughs> and then, so you, you make know? these drugs. How much money were you making off of the drugs? Oh, my lawyer always tells me to fudge this point. <laughs> it was um, a tidy sum. The IRS apparently doesn't have a statute of limitations. So I, I, well, we won't talk a, about that then. A good chunk of cash. It was a good <laughs> chunk of cash, especially for a fucking kid. Yeah. Like it was a decent, it was a decent chunk of cash. But uh, And I got used to making money. I got used to having money. I got, you know, I got, you know, you get addicted to it. Like you want money. I got, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm for capitalism with a conscience. But, you know, I, I'm wildly hypocritical because, like, I, I live in a fucking penthouse and I like nice shoes and I like nice shit and <laughs> drive a nice car. And um, but um, but I do believe that there there is a lot more to life than that. But I do like to be comfortable. So you're you look comfortable now. So that's good. So your your addiction and, and you're you're drinking a lot in college and, and, you, and you're dealing a lot of drugs. What was the craziest situation that you got into? in college when you're like, wow, like I am so in over my head. Uh, you know, when you start to bring in, when people start to get wind of my activities and by people, I mean, um, other entities, like big organized entities that, you know, wanted to take this thing kind of like to the next level. So I found myself in a lot of ex like, very dangerous situations yeah. where people were getting hurt, where people were, um, it, it was really frightening. And I could never show any kind of fear because I was like, fuck, man, two things that I learned, especially with the guys who I was dealing with. Never fucking get your nude photograph taken because they'll fucking think poorly of you. <laughs> Don't fuck them because they'll think poorly of you. Like, they'll just look at you differently and never show fear. Never show fear. So I, I would be in situations where like people would be like getting really fucked up and mangled and like hurt. And I just had to like be really, luckily I had plenty of blow, which just fueled my ability to fucking, you know, have a poke, or, like be a mean, mean, mean little girl. And, like they loved it that I was so mean. 
How much coke you know? were you doing when you were at Rutgers during all this? Oh gosh, I don't know. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> like a good, like people would be like, oh my God, you're a little girl, but man, you're railing that shit up. And I'd be like, yeah, that's right. Stay the fuck out of my way. I mean, it's so, pretty, I'm it's, not- it's, it is a decadent movie that goes dark. And then there's, at the end, there's inspiration, you know what I mean? And it's, I wanted to ask you, is the reason that the, the movie worked for, for you and for people that's, that saw it or will see it, is it because it's true? Because it's part of you? I mean, a lot of times we can, not me, but I mean, you never even, you hadn't made a movie, right? Up until this. No, I hadn't never made a movie. I just wanted to put the truth up there. And not the truth, like to the letter of the details, yeah. but like the emotional truth. Like I wanted to put, because I, she was a damaged girl from the wrong side of the tracks who was desperate to fucking be as good as other people, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that kind of truth resonates with people because I think that most people can remember a time in their life when they felt less than, Yeah. right? So like, you know, the the woman who played the crack mom? Yeah. And brilliant, brilliant actress, who, by the way, you can catch her in American Gods um, playing the uh, the goddess of love, Bilquis. Oh, wow. You, so, you, there's a lot of like you know, notable actors in this movie. They are fucking amazing. I'm I'm a good judge of talent. I am a good judge (laughs) of talent. Um, and yeah, no, I chose my, I I casted that well, I think, you know, people really fuck. And people also, they gave their heart to me. They really bled for me to put something beautiful on the screen. But I remember I did this like long interview with this girl. It was another podcast. And at the end she said, you know, I just want to tell you that Anita, the the crack mom, was my mom. Like that basically like was my story with my mom. And um, your movie allowed me to see more humanity in my mother. And I thought that's a lot better than a critic's, you know, yeah. tip of the hat. If it can really connect with people and, and help people and help, um, help spread some kind of empathy, then, uh, you know, that's really what I did it for. Although there's still a couple of critics whose houses I want to burn down, but <laughs> you know, fuck them for not getting my genius. Well, and that's part of like the competitive streak that makes you successful. Like, I think it's very. That's one of the things I struggle with 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 recovery, and I really have to work extra hard in those moments where I feel like I'm being slighted or that I'm being. You know, that's when I really am like, oh, yeah. right? Because it's like. I do want to be a successful person and I almost want to keep that energy where I'm pissed off. Cause that'll move me on to the next thing to stay motiv- motivated. But then it's like, all right, well, can I be consumed by this to the point where I'm like pissed off or miserable? No. You know? Yeah. I really do. I I've reframed, you know, cause for a while, like during COVID during the apocalypse, um, I bought a place in the mountains and my kid and I like, we spent like a good year and a half up in the mountains in this like rural mountain town. It was time well spent. It was pretty awesome. But um, I remember using that as an opportunity to just really be introspective and be like, what do I, you know, what do I want to fucking do in this next act of my life? You know, and I decided I was going to study and get my master's of family therapy. And um, I thought, I don't know if I really want to, do I want to do another movie? Like it's literally like, crawling across this town naked and getting spit on to get money for it. But, but you um, did it. You got, you, you, you got like a million bucks. I got spit on. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I mean, you have to really, you have to be thick skinned yeah. in this town. Um, uh, and I thought, uh, maybe I just don't want to do it. Maybe I just don't want to do it. And when I came back, I, I pray and meditate all the time. And 
the guidance that I've received now is like, no, it's a good, it's a really good platform to be able to um, help people and model a way through the dark. I do feel like that's our highest calling as artists is to model a way through the dark. So, um, you know, now that the writer strike is over, I'm starting to have a few more talks with some people and like, we'll see what happens. But I, I just figure if it's what the universe wants me, like if that's the best way for fucking me to be the mouthpiece and, and do whatever, you know, good I possibly can, then I'll do it. But like, I won't do, I don't want to do a zombie movie. I don't want to do some depiction of like, you know, this bleak humanity where we're like turning on each other and we're eating each other and there's no hope. I'm like, I just won't do it. Yeah. So, um, I, I have a couple of scripts that I've written. I actually, including MDMA written as a, um, and a, a, a TV series. Oh, wow. Um, it would lend itself well to a TV series because there's so many different backstories and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, we'll see what happens. You know, I think a lot of it is, I'm just allowing myself to be guided by the universe. That's the thing about getting sober. You you become, and you mentioned it, it's like the keys to a whole another life, or I forget exactly how you worded it, but like you're tapped in to, yeah. to the, your higher power, to the sunlight of the spirit, to like all this stuff around you. So you start to make difficult uh, decisions that are rewarding. Um, yeah. And not, you're not going for, you know, you're just not taking shortcuts. It's just, it's not all about my ego now. I mean, I'm still, look, I got a fucking ego. Yeah. I'm vain. I got, you know, like I got, I'm all those things. But I try my very best to tame that and to rein it in and to put it to use in terms of just being of service. What, you know? what about, yeah, you, you talk about that being of service. Like what today, like, do you find yourself, you, I love the story about when you became the literature chair, but like what, because that is hardcore service, but what do you find yourself doing today in your, in your program or in your sobriety that surprises you that, you know, 10, 15 oh, years wow. ago, you never would have done? So much like fucking, you know, crawl into a meeting and leading a meeting when you don't feel like it. You know what I mean? Like sometimes when people ask me to, you know, to lead a meeting, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, really? Again, like, yeah. no, but you know, I was taught, my sponsor told me like, show up, suit up, do it. Um, I sponsor people. Um, I try to keep my ego out of that whole process. It's a painful, painful process. You know, I had a couple of gnarly months where like I had a sponsee go out and try to kill herself. She OD'd, you know, I had to go and ride with her in the ambulance to the fucking hospital and, um, a good friend of mine, her 22 year old son, um, hung himself. Mm. I think he was one of us. Uh, and I've had really dear friends go out. Um, I had another sponsee go out who just finally found her way to treatment. Thank God. Um, but I, I, I always wanted to help people, but I, I wasn't grounded enough so that I, and I'd leave, you know, they say like, scratch any fucking attic and you'll find a bleeding codependent. I would just lean in too much and I would get washed away with them. You know, I didn't have it to give. That was basically it. Like I just didn't have it to give. So now I feel like I've done enough work to be able to show up for people in a meaningful way, but still guard my, guard my boundaries, you know, protect myself and to understand that um, I can't, I can't want it more than they do. Right. Yeah. 
So, I mean, and that was a big lesson that I learned, honestly, through my daughter, right? Because she's real, she relapsed over and over again. And I had to lean back, right? And, um, and understand that there's no way that I could work her program for her. And there's no way that I could micromanage it that would turn out well. And really the best thing I could do is just do the work myself and hopefully model it for her. Yeah, and at the same so. time, you're, you're, you're uniquely qualified to get somebody through the darkness, right? As much as you can, like you just mentioned. Yeah. Like that, that, that to me has been the biggest gift. Of, I, I never would have ever foreseen an opportunity for me to actually help someone, like really help someone, not open the fucking door for them. You know, like really. you have? I only you have one right. Really? I have one right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, but, and I'm happy that I have one, but I, I've had more. I've had less too. Um, but, but I got one right now. Um, it keeps me busy. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough challenge to understand what's the right balance. You know, like my sponsors have spent the night here that, you know, I, I I'm like a little, I'm kind of mommy to a lot of people, uh -huh. which I love. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm still a little bit happy when my daughter is sick so she can stay over and I can feed her soup in bed. <laughs> like, I practically lunch houses. It's bad. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have that innate. Like, I love doing that for people. So it's nice now that I'm balanced enough to be able to recognize when it's going to hurt someone or when it's going to harm someone. Yeah. Is this, is this for my own ego? Is this for me? Or is this really for them? So it's um, it's tough to tease all that shit out, you know, and, and it's a moving target, too, sometimes. Right. So what's right in one situation may not be right in the next situation. You just have to keep praying and asking for guidance and talking to fellows and just kind of figuring it out on a on a case by case basis. I feel like were you surprised at the amount of women that you met that were like you? in recovery for me that kept me out for a while like i'm not like them or whatever yeah. that is i mean yeah i would imagine you roll with a pretty cool group of women um they're you know, fucking awesome they're super dope yeah and yeah. like i i know that that kept me it was one of those things that i hung on to to, yeah. st to stay drunk and high for a while like i can't you know that's lame or they don't have fun or all that bullshit that i'm using to really kill myself and then you come around long enough and you know the fog lifts and you're like man these these are I'm, I'm hanging out with really people who i would consider cool like you know yeah. like and obviously it goes way deeper than that but yeah good quality people really quality people um you know I, when i first got sober i was in the bay area and i faulted the bay area with my inability to stay sober because i'm sure it was a, it was it was the bay area's fault <laughs> and like I was like I can't find tribe I can't you know and I would look for the things that were different right I, mean, I was looking for things that were different and I'd be like mm, I can't relate to that person or oh you know what I I got their number and I called them and they never called me back you know like that happens you gotta you have to I tell my sponsors this I'm like you have to fucking go after your after your sobriety the same way you went after your you gotta high. chase it chase it and fucking make it a priority and fucking be selfish about it and guard it jealously um, so when I was there, I had a really hard time finding tribe, you know, and, and part of it was because honestly, because I hated myself, there was still this part of myself that I fucking couldn't stand that I hadn't made peace with. So, um, it was probably as much me, me as like, and honestly, I, I, I was different, you know, than the people I, I was living in a very 
beautiful upper very upper middle class neighborhood we lived in this gorgeous like 9000 square foot home and i'd be like this is on paper everything i ever wanted as a little girl yet i'm fucking miserable yeah i don't know that's and a terrifying it, place to be it is it's horrifying I and mean, then i was like what else? the only thing i can do to fucking make myself feel better is to drink right yeah uh, so when i moved down to la um a number of things happened. Like, obviously I got sober for real. And I, I just, I found my, my like soul tribe, you know, like I just found people who, and part of it was my, my ability to be raw and vulnerable and tell you what's really going on in my, in my head and my heart and to be open to feedback, sometimes criticism, you know, like I, I got fucking, a gay AA guy will fucking call you on your shit yeah. like no one else in this world. So, yeah, like I'd be like, no, I don't really like drama. And my one friend would be like, oh, don't you? You really? Really? You don't? <laughs> Is that true, Angie? <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like I think another thing that screws people up and obviously you're an artist. Did you was there ever a time when you thought that alcohol and drugs were fueling that creative side creative of you? Way? I did make that mistake briefly, yeah. but it, it's, it's total fallacy. So if anyone's listening who thinks that it's, it's like, you're still a creative person when you're drinking. It's just this like dark shit that you're conjuring. Cause you're, I mean, for me, I just became like mired in dark energy, mired in it. And, you know, I work with this shaman and I know it sounds very LA, but you know, he's like, look, when we use it rips holes in our, in our energetic aura and any kind of dark energy can like come and fucking take hold of you. And I really felt that, you know, so like the scripts I write now are wildly different than the work that I, that I, you know, put on paper when, when I was using, they were all, it was always like very, very dark. Yeah. So like, I remember just taking one out recently and reading it and be like, what the fuck was I thinking? Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, this fucking shit out of here, man. I don't want to fucking see this stupid movie made. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I feel like it. you bring your best version of yourself to the game when you're sober or you have a chance at doing that. You can connect with the highest version of yourself with your higher power and um, really conjure some beauty rather than like it's not like I deny that there's darkness in the world like it would be fool. It would be an idiot. You know, I'm certainly no fucking Pollyanna, but, um, you know, I, I love this saying the wolf you feed is the wolf that grows. So I've made a conscious effort to feed you know, the, the good wolf, because my attic attaches to that darkness. And I know my attic wants me dead. You know, my mentor always says this. she says, um, addiction is like a fucking serial killer and it's coming after everybody we love. So we got to band up and hold hands and watch each other's backs. You know, I do believe that. Well, this is brilliant stuff. La last thing before I let you go, cause we're coming up on the hour. Did you, What's one thing you tell, you know, people that come to you and, and they're hopeless, you know, they're, and they're like, Angie, I can't get a day. Or when I get a month, I go back out. You know, what, what, I guess, shred of your experience are you able to share with them? I feel like if I can get through the dark, anyone can, I think all of us, I, I would go back to my birth and just say like, sometimes it is so excruciating. You think that this fucking pain is never going to end my advice is to lean into it rather than resist it 
because half of the reason why you get stuck is, is your own resistance. I do believe that if you're always kicking against something and you can't lean into it and move through, you're always going to be like stuck in this fucking stagnant mode where you're like shuttling from side to side, trying to escape something. So if you feel hopeless, hold someone's hand and lean into that. And, and when you, when you acknowledge that, I think that it starts to break up and move and you can start to move through it. And a lot of it is also like, if you feel that hopeless, like, like we say in the rooms, like, let us love you until you can love yourself, you know, let us prop you up, but take your mask off, you know? And I always say this, you know, like in the rooms, it's a place where, I mean, first of all, it's great to all of a sudden feel like fresh air on your face, but it's a place where you'll be loved for it, not in spite of it, because people can see your true self you know, you're showing up as your authentic self and you're loved for it. It's a huge gift. So that to me is like sort of the carrot that coaxes people out of that dark, dark prison. Any, so. Anything else? And watch my fucking movie. It's on Amazon. <laughs> it's, you can get it on Amazon Prime, right? And where, where else? Oh, it's on like, I think it's on Hulu. It played on uh -huh. Showtime for a long time, but I think it's off of there now. It's like on Voodoo and all those like sort of yeah. freebie, I think, freebie, whatever it's called. Yeah, Amazon Prime's the easiest place to get it. Yeah. 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 And if you buy the DVD, I'll sign it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're, you are a real, like, it's very obvious, like your talents are, you know, through being an artist, but you're also, you do have that, like, you're brilliant and you're, you're a bit of a salesperson, which is, you know, like, it's pretty good. I'm a good salesperson. <laughs> yeah, I'm a good salesperson. I was like, I sold the shit out of my ex. I sold software. I sold, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your ex. I'm selling you sobriety. Yeah, well, yeah, you're selling sobriety. Your ex helped you make this movie, right? He did. He's yeah. a great guy. He's a great guy. That's another great, like, gift of sobriety is, yes. like, our ability to find our way back to each other as mm -hmm. friends. Because I, I actually, um, I went back to San Francisco to exercise that that city. Mm -hmm. And I met up with him and his new wife and I saw their new place. And like at first I was like, I'm ready to be kind of a fucking bitch about it, right? Um, but I was like, you know what? They seem to have a really nice thing going. She's adorable. She supports him. He supports her. They make each other happy. And I told them, I was like, Look, I was prepared to be like kind of a cunt and like maybe like a little jealous, but you guys got a nice thing going. So I'm really happy that, you know, we can be part of each other's lives. And um, I, his, 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 his happiness is important to me. I mean, so really you guys were together for more than 10 years, right? 10 years, 10 years. Philly boy. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Philly boy. He's still got a place in Rittenhouse Square. His mom is still there. I remember we talked about his that. I love brother, hearing that. His brother who passed away. It reminds me of your story with your brother, but his brother was like the biggest heart in the world, Rich. And um, biggest fucking Eagles fan on the face of the earth. Um, uh, giant heart who left too early and kind of, he was like the heart of the family. But every time I think of, every time I hear the Rocky song, I start to cry because I think of Rich. But um, I definitely, you know what, when my daughter went through that, I remember hearing Rich's voice and Rich was like, I'm not letting her through, Ange. I'm not letting her through. Wow. So, thanks, Richie. Yeah, they stay with us. All thanks. right. Thank you for making the time. I know how busy you are. Come to LA. 
fine. Come hang out, dude. Let's go. And, and, and let me know if you have any other ideas, all right? Okay. All right. All right. Take Thanks, care. Angie. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. Production.